stimulation in sound. Help you to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What does intersectional environmentalism actually look like in practice? Environmental justice educators and advocates Leah Thomas and Whitney McGuire have put some thought and some action into answering that question. I'm director of podcast Taylor Camille, and in continuation of our programming for Earth Month, we're discussing how Leah and Whitney's shared passion for equity and culture aims to unite the environmental movement with social justice by working towards more inclusive and equitable solutions for a sustainable future. Hi, my name is Leah. Um, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and currently live in Los Angeles. And I'm an environmental justice educator and advocate and really passionate about exploring the relationship between culture and environmentalism. And yeah, that's a little bit about me. I started a nonprofit called Intersectional Environmentalist, or IE for short, in 2020. And it's been a lot of fun. I am Whitney McGuire. I am a mother, sustainability strategist and consultant, professor and writer. And I also co-founded an organization called Sustainable Brooklyn um, that works at the intersection of equity and culture and the sustainability movement to really bridge the gaps and to include and really prioritize the voices of uh, communities that are first and most impacted by the climate crisis. And I also support the Guggenheim Museum as their sustainability director. I love it. I love the resumes in this conversation. And I love the work that you guys are both doing. And I just wondered, 
if you could share with our audience how you both got started in the environmental activism space and where kind of your work intersects. Yeah, I so I started studying environmental science and policy when I was in school. And I was just learning a lot. I was at a predominantly white university and not feeling really connected to what I was learning in the classroom and started to explore some independent studies. So getting into Black feminist theory and the history of environmental justice and really starting to ask the question like, this is what I want to be learning about. And I want to learn about people who look like me that are doing incredible work. And that just kind of started me on a journey of trying to find my people in this movement. And there were so many, which made me happy. And I just didn't want other people who looked like me to ever have that feeling. So I started a blog. It used to be called Green Girl Food, which is funny because like I'm not a really good um, chef, but I was like <laughs> trying to make these cute acai bowls in like 2014 or something like that. And then slowly over time, I started just posting about, okay, I'm going for a hike. And then I started learning about orgs like Outdoor Afro and, you know, Hike Club and you know, things like that. And just finding these online communities that had in real life community. And that really just made me start thinking about how I could utilize social media to showcase just diverse voices in the environmental space. And I guess and in terms of climate activism, I would say right now, I'm probably having more of an education focus, just thinking about how I can infiltrate is not the right word, but, you know, help reshape K through 12 education to ensure that environmental justice history is kind of deeply embedded into it. So that's been, I guess, my activism in the education space. And of course, going to some climate protests and learning from some of the youth activists to see what they're doing. Um, But I've always just really cared about the earth. And I've always, you know, my mom really went out of her way to randomly bring me like black astronaut dolls or like black scientist dolls. So I feel like I just want to help create the world that she created for me and make sure that everyone is able to have that through storytelling and things like that. That's beautiful, Leah. (laughs) It is. It's so sweet. Yeah. My journey started in my hometown of Dayton, Ohio, on the west side, which is a very important caveat um, because the west side was a predominantly black still is predominantly Black side of town. And as a result, right, we were affected by social and environmental degradation, intentional social and environmental degradation. And so, you know, my family is still there, both sides, and we have the health issues to prove, right, that we have been exposed to harm both environmentally and socially for for too long. So, you know, I have this like sense of urgency that I bring to everything that I do because of where I come from. My mom was still fly. My grandma was fly. And so naturally I was fly. Right. So um, I started, you know, thrifting and, and, and pulling together looks from the value city and, and all that stuff um, to just really reflect, you know, my identity and my um, sense of just purpose, really, in, in fashion and, and beyond. And I left Dayton at the age of 14 and went to an incredibly different environment. I was uh, accepted into a boarding school in Newport, Rhode Island. And so I spent four years there 
in a, an incredibly privileged environment. And I saw, you know, the juxtaposition between that environment and the environment from which I came, you know, just the the ways in which health really played um, a part in my analysis of these two disparate worlds. And so I wanted to focus on activism and, and bringing more attention to these issues that um, really impact communities of color and, and predominantly Black communities throughout the United States and the world. So when I got to college, I did a lot of activist work. Um, I lived abroad in Ghana for some time and uh, really started to hone in on the fashion industry as having kind of a hand in this in this whole ecosystem of harm. So uh, many years later, I also started to present fashion sustainability workshops for design students. My passion has always been to educate the public and to take a lot of these concepts out of the ivory tower of corporate America and academia and bring these issues and, and knowledge to the people who actually, you know, who it actually impacts. I started doing that and I posted a photo of, of one of those uh, workshops on Instagram and ended up being connected, getting connected to my co-founder, Dominique Drakeford, who is a force in environmental justice and activism and, and in fashion. Um, and from there, we, we created Sustainable Brooklyn. So, you know, I would say like that's the genesis of my advocacy here in Brooklyn. But, you know, my, my activism really started at an early age. Yeah. I wondered if you both could kind of give your insight on what intersectionality is. Leah, we can start with you because as you mentioned, Whitney, there is this ivory tower. There is this um, approach to climate change and climate issues that leaves a lot of groups that are heavily affected out. So what does intersectionality look like when it comes to the climate conversation? Yeah, and I'm super excited for Whitney's answer, the one with the law background. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, when I think of inter intersectional theory, or I guess hmm, the first time that I came across it was probably when I was in school at that PWI. And I remember during that time, in addition to, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and having more uh, momentum kind of in 2014, 15, 16. So there were protests that were going on. There was also kind of this quote unquote, like women's movement that was happening. So there's that big women's march that happened. And I remember trying to go to a feminist club at my PWI and just being like, what is this? This is right. not for me. <laughs> like They do not care about racial justice and the intersections of womanhood and Black identity. And that's when I started kind of seeing that same sentiment in um, writings by really incredible you know, Black feminist theorists that were talking about how they're just as much Black as they are women and, you know, interlocking identities and things like that and why it's so important not to, you know, separate the two because that's just an experience that, you know, I was unable to do and I don't think anyone should have to do. 
So that's when I came to intersectional theory, and it was almost just a sigh of relief to understand that there was another type of feminism that did really look at those intersections of blackness and womanhood and other things, sometimes queer identity, etc. Um, and yeah, it starting in kind of a legal context was also really cool. So shout out to Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, who is analyzing a lot of court cases where Black women specifically, because of those overlapping identities, were not being equally protected in the court system, which is why it's so important to consider those nuances. And then I guess when applying it specifically to climate justice or environmentalism and sustainability, oh my God, there's just so many things why it's so important. So looking at something like sustainable fashion, which isn't my area of expertise, but one place to start is even just looking at things like income and accessibility. And this is something that Whitney talks about. I don't know. I get so annoyed when I'm on Instagram and I see sustainable fashion bloggers that are like, you're a horrible person if you're not buying <laughs> from these. Like, it's like a $300 t-shirt and it's just not accessible to the everyday person. And that's not an excuse at all to buy um, from companies that are not making um, things ethically. But there's a lot of nuance in just understanding how things like income and and race, et cetera, intersect with fashion and sustainability. So that's really important. And then specifically with environmental injustice, um, separating things like income and race from the climate conversation, in my opinion, is just so irresponsible at best. That's probably the mm -hmm. nicest word that I could use, because yeah. how can you ignore like who's the most impacted by environmental injustice. Um, if it is, you know, black and brown folks and low income people who are bearing the brunt of the climate crisis, but did not contribute equally to causing it. So it is really important to look at things like identity and how those things might intersect with environmental outcomes, legal outcomes and other things. Very well said. Yeah, I mean, I echo everything that Leah just said I think that at the heart of intersectionality is this um, equity conversation mm -hmm. um, or, you know, we can't have equity without a very holistic grasp and understanding of the importance of intersectionality. We also can't have justice without intersectionality. Mm -hmm. Without intersectionality, those terms are just hollow. And I think that's what we're seeing with um, within the climate movement right now. Um, within sustainability as well. Sustainability and equity are having a crisis uh, of definition, of identity, right? <laughs> um, and I think that um, intersectionality tends to get um, watered down in the process of, of approaching equity, but it really, you know, it starts with the fact that there are demographics within this great nation, might <laughs> I say that sarcastically, um, um, that have systemically been been deeply impacted for generations by um, by inequity, by um, um, unjust practices um, across the board, um, and that needs to be understood before we can begin to solve the problems. Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw positioned it in the context of, of Black women who were impacted by 
discrimination who wanted on at work, who wanted to file federal claims, which, you know, technically we are all supposed to be protected from harm in, in, in some ways. Um, and so there are federal laws that we can use to, to file claims in courts. Um, and these judges were looking at these claims and they're saying, well, well, these black women were saying like, we, we're not protected. There's no laws that really like address what we're actually experiencing. And, you know, the courts are saying, well, you were women, so you're protected. And without understanding that black women have right. a lot, you know, a completely different experience across right. the board, especially at work. Um, and then they're saying, well, you're black. And so, you know, not taking into account that like black men have, you know, protections that, you know, black women uh, or femme identifying people may not have. And so there was this like chasm in in how we are like federally or legally even seen, mm-hmm. you know, which is obviously an extension of our of the ways that our laws have always been written to work against us. Um, and so I applaud Dr. Um, Crenshaw for really honing in on, on this, on this gap, um, and, and, you know, using this term intersectionality to show that like, there are experiences that are often, you know, with outside of the purview of the, of mainstream discourse and solutioning that actually impact the greater conversation in terms of how we progress and move forward, and especially how we engage with justice or, or see justice happen in, in the future. So um, intersectionality is, is integral to anything that has to do with equity, anything that has to do with sustainability um, and justice. So yeah. Yeah. Also, thank yeah. women. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Great answer. And as you were speaking, both of you, I mean, we've touched on it a bit, is the, the representation conversation, right? I mean, you two are both leaders in this space. And it's, I mean, anything that Black people do, it's hard. But as it relates to climate, it's hard to like make sure that people know that face is brown, that face is Black of the people who are affected and the people that are leading the change. And so I wondered just if we look, take a look at leadership and we take a look at how leaders in this space are spotlighted or not, I kind of just wanted your perspective on how more people can feel empowered to keep going. Because it's not that they're not doing the work, it's that they're not being seen. And so how we can flip that script. And I think a lot of it might be seemingly out of our control, right? But how can we work towards ensuring that there is more representation and more inclusion and more people that have a seat at the table, especially when it affects their day-to-day lives? I would say one thing would be definitely getting as local as possible and trying to get connected with local grassroots environmental justice organizers and organizations and activists. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to say this because it's Well, it's not hard to say, but I just I wish more people understood that social media following does not translate to intellect, does not translate to who has like been in the game for a long time, who's been like pioneers of this work, etc. And I would say some of the most incredible organizers and activists like don't have large social media platforms because they are organizing and they might, you know, make partnerships with social media um, accounts and things like that for visibility. 
And I would say, I guess with intersectional environmentalists, part of our theory of change is using this online digital ecosystem to help people with the ultimate goal to get connected to say like, okay, I live in St. Louis, Missouri. Here are the organizations that are around me and kind of, you know, oh my God, I didn't know that there are people who looked like me, lived down the street from me who are doing this work. And then hopefully those can be those people's heroes too. And um, I think, you know, I love social media. It's a lot of fun, but it's not the end all be all. And that's something that I've definitely grappled with as I've built my personal platform. Um, but I think the work that we do over on IE is definitely more gratifying because we get to show people community spotlights and things like that. And I think that's been a really fun journey. But I want to remind people of that, that, oh, my God, you don't even know sometimes. Like, I just moved to L.A. There's so many cool people. There's, like, the Compton Community Garden that's doing incredible work. There's Hike Club and Evelyn who's doing just, you know, such cool work, and it's yeah. right down the street from me. And I encourage people to do that little Google environmental justice org, insert city, and find those people. Because then I think it'll help normalize that our heroes and the people that we can be looking up to are right in our backyard. They're not just folks on social media with these big platforms. And I encourage people who do have social media platforms, um, which both of us do, um, to remember that and not let it, I guess, I don't know, use that for good and try to connect people to other folks as well. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Connect locally for, especially for sustainable Brooklyn, sustainability as a definition includes the fact that it starts locally. It starts where you are and it differs for region, from region to region, from community to community. Um, so really understanding the ecosystem in which you are leading or, or existing is really important. The inclusion part, I always hesitate to get behind because yep. not all skin folk are kin folk. That's sure. just like being 100% honest. So like just because you have someone in a position of leadership who looks like you doesn't mean that they have your best interest at heart. Um, And so I think going beyond um, just inclusion, having a very clear set of values and principles that you lead with um, and look for in a leader um, is really important. And also understanding what needs exist within your community, within your own life, so that you can engage in a resource sharing. I think the best leaders are, you know, the ones who are um, not only connected, but use their connections to support and meet the needs of people who um, and communities who need it most or need these resources most. So that's what I look for in, in terms of if someone who looks like me has a seat at somebody else's table, I want to know that they are supporting their um, supporting the communities that are impacted by whatever table they're sitting at, but also that they are also supported in their role. Um, too often, um, you know, we get into these positions 
well, not often, but sometimes when we get into these positions, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we are, we're the only one. And, and it, it really is a heavy lift to not only like galvanize an entire organization, um, but also to just, you know, exist as a black or brown or, or, you know, poor person or, you know, previously poor person in these positions. Like it's really difficult. So, you know, it's a two way street there. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You guys do a lot of work and I know it can be tiring and it can be exhausting and it can feel lofty, especially when there's feels like we're on a ticking time clock of like turning things around. Since we're at Well and Good, how do you guys get back to yourself? How do you guys feel well in amidst all of the things that you're trying to tackle and discuss and, and, you know, take charge on? When do you feel you're most well? Mm. I've been a Pilates girl lately because Ooh. of Lori Harvey. Um, and so many <laughs> other people. But it's like, I get it. It's kind of, I don't know. It's, and it's something that I'm trying to do more so just for my my well-being and I kind of hate that like you know when you um like start doing something and then you're like oh this actually is making me feel better like I should yeah. probably do it and <laughs> Pilates is making me feel a lot better even just mentally because it's just a nice um it's really helping me retrain my mind to think about what fitness is because I don't know there's so many negative portrayals in the media about needing to exhaust yourself all the time whether it's in work or working out and Pilates, not to just do this whole Pilates promo, but it's like about micro <laughs> movements. So you're doing like these small movements, but then you're also like working out and you get like ripped, but you're not like sweating or exhausting yourself. And you really only need to yeah. go like twice a week, if that, maybe three times. So it's made me rethink like, okay, yeah, I don't need to exhaust myself. This is just a practice I'm doing for myself to be well. And it feels really special and I get to wear like the little Pilates socks, little Griffey socks, which is a lot of fun. Um, so I've been doing that and also spending a lot of time um, alone when I can and just getting in touch with myself and then also creating some boundaries when it comes to social media and understanding that, you know, this is my work in some ways. So it's something that I can definitely turn off and not engage with and kind of engage with it more as kind of clocking into a job and clocking out. So making sure that I'm able to have some separation and then really getting in touch with my community. So my college friends and people like that, 
I think in the world that I'm existing in, in the sustainability space, there's a lot of people I know because I know their work. Um, but then I also have my friends who know me outside of that and could are very proud of my book, but could care less about it and like care less mm-hmm. about accolades and we can just watch like the real housewives of Potomac. So I love having those people who are close to me um, so I can set some boundaries with my professional and work life. So that's how I try to stay grounded. And then therapy, which I know isn't always accessible to everyone, but when my schedule is really hectic, I try to go once a week when I can, even if I'm not going through a crisis. And I think that's a really important thing um, if people are able to to go to therapy, mm-hmm. even if you just want someone to talk to you about your coworker who maybe had a tone with you that you didn't like and talk about it for 30 minutes or, you know, just navigating things throughout your day. It doesn't have to be when you get to that point where there's a crisis and it's just become a part of my kind of self-care practice. I love it. Yes. I mean, yeah. same. Uh, definitely a Pilates girl. <laughs> and I love Real Housewives of Potomac. Um, I think part of my, you know, my wellness practice is rest, especially at this point of my life. I've been in survival mode for so long and I know that that can kill you. Right. And I also know that, you know, existing in a black femme body, we're already um, susceptible to the disease of white supremacy. And so I have to engage with my wellness as a system. And, you know, much like Leah just pointed out, there are so many different components to that system that I have to check in with. And, you know, some things might fall by the wayside, specifically Pilates. (laughs) I'm getting back into it. Okay. Um, But yeah, so like everything kind of functions together uh, and flows together. I check in with myself, you know, like, have I drank what have I had water? Have I eaten? Did I get enough rest? Um, did I move my body? Um, have I been out in the sun? So those are like the five things that I have to do, like kind of just constantly to regulate myself and bring myself back to me. Mm. I feel like we did not touch on nearly enough. <laughs> this conversation could keep going. But is there anything that either of you wanted to share that we didn't touch on that you would like to say? Yeah. I mean, one thing about just like I think the general impact of a lot of what's happening um, politically is that, you know, a lot of us are feeling discouraged and dismayed. Um, And so one thing I tell my students is to connect with and inform yourself of the people who have been leading these movements from jump. Like this is not the first crisis, right, Right. that we are seeing in our community. Um, And so learning from and engaging with people who have, you know, literally died work doing this work um, is really a powerful way to engage with um, the blueprints or black prints that were already established and so that we can build upon these frameworks without feeling like this is all brand new right mm-hmm. so that's that's what I would offer on today's show you heard me in conversation with Leah Thomas and Whitney McGuire This episode was edited by our friends at Edit Audio and produced by Jen Snyder, Abby Stone, and myself, Taylor Camille, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt Domenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette. 
please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share.